This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns on Thursday. We received some unsettling news this morning. The daily COVID-19 numbers in Ontario were at 190 on Sunday and 185 on Labor Day Monday. We also have Canada's chief public health officer expressing her concerns about the rising numbers, suggesting Canadians are not being vigilant enough. Let's get reaction from our panel of experts, infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist Dr. Alon Vaisman and Dr. Ray Dionandan, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Doctors, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Vaisman, are we seeing the beginning of a second wave with those numbers? Certainly the numbers that we have now are concerning enough to be con- to say that there a second wave may be beginning, but it's a little early to tell what direction this will go in. Uh, there's a few concerning elements to it, like the steady rise over the last few weeks, and then as well as the opening of schools today. But it may be a bit too early to know what the direction is. And also, even if this sustained rise will continue for several days and drop off, or whether it'll continue to go up. Dr. Dianandam, what do you think about that? Are we starting the second wave by seeing these numbers, these daily numbers, getting close to 200? Well, the second wave verbiage terminology is a little problematic. I like to think of it as one big wave sweeping across the world with different characteristics in different parts of the world. And what we see here is a resurgence. The disease never went away. There's nothing particularly seasonal about it. This is all about human behavior. So what we're seeing is the results of people being too social. And it's entirely in our power to get the numbers down again. Let's see if we can. Well, that, that's my next question. Um, in terms of what's going on, you say it's that people are letting up their guard as opposed to the virus becoming more insidious. Yeah, 100%. So this virus, we do not think have, has a seasonal aspect to it, except to the extent that high humidity means lesser transmission because the droplets fall faster. Fall faster rather. This is about people interacting. There's no mystery here. The virus doesn't walk into your house on its own. It's carried by people. So the more that people interact, especially in large indoor gatherings, the more that we have people running inside because the weather gets bad, the more that we have institutions opening like schools, we're going to see an increase in numbers. So it's incumbent upon each of us to maintain these basic public health uh, restrictions like distancing and mask wearing and avoiding large gatherings. Dr. Vaisman, are you in agreement with that? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, when you think about what, uh, what's going on in Ontario, we're looking at phase three that was opened up around six weeks ago now. So we, what, what we might be seeing now is a downstream consequence of what happens when you open up in phase three. That doesn't mean that it was a foregone conclusion that we would have a rise in cases, but it could mean that there is a laxity in people's adherence to public health recommendations. And also uh, people are, as, as was mentioned, now it's getting a little bit cooler. People are now going to be more indoors as schools are opening up. So these are things that are going to collide and potentially lead to a surge in cases in the near future. Well, in terms of why we went to phase three, as you mentioned about six weeks ago, um, you know, you wonder 
we needed to do that for the economy. But at the same time, if the result is that people get more relaxed, we're, we really are not fighting the virus as effectively as we could have, Dr. Ray, had we stayed in phase two. I don't think we could have stayed in phase two. I don't think the population would have tolerated it as well. Opening up when it was safe to do so, like in the hot summer months when people have the opportunity to go outside, was important. It also gave us an opportunity to try out some things, to test out some theories and hypotheses. I don't, I don't think we use that opportunity as much as we should have, especially around how to deploy uh, resources around school openings. We could have tried out some things in summer camps. We didn't do that. But that was the time to do it. So I'm glad that we took that chance. Now I hope that we roll back some aspects of that plan, in particular bars and nightclubs, uh, places where really social interaction is a luxury, not a necessity, because everything matters now. We have to keep the economy open, which means making some tough choices going forward. Uh, Yes, Dr. Vaisman, uh, that's what I'm hearing from everybody, is that uh, people are starting to relax. And I want to hear from you as well, as a Zoomer radio listener. Are you seeing people in your social circle, and I don't mean specifically your bubble, where uh, you can have 10 people, but I mean just in the people that you know, that you talk to on the phone, or that you gather with uh, at a physical distance, are you starting to see people relax a bit and, and not take it as seriously because... Perhaps they don't have anybody in their life that has actually tested positive for COVID-19. Are behaviors changing six months in? 416-360-0740. Toll free, 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Vaisman, perhaps um, as Dr. Dianandin is suggesting, the guidelines aren't restrictive enough in terms of bars and gyms and weddings and whether they're indoors or outdoors outdoors. Is it time to pull back a little bit? Yeah, that's exactly how we should be approaching the problem is that when we went from lockdown towards relaxing restrictions, we went in the phase approach of one, two, three. And now that the cases are rising again, there's going to have to be a decision made about when you pull that trigger and then go backwards on the phases again. And I think the important thing for the public to realize is that this is going to be a dynamic approach. Uh, it's going to come and go. We're going to have to relax and then restrict so that we uh, do our best to protect the public. So if the cases do continue to rise in the the near future, then that trigger is going to have to be pulled and we're going to have to restrict some of those social activities. Um, But still with the messaging being important about this is is what we have to do in the short term to protect people in the long term and that it'll be a constantly, uh, it'll be a situation that's in constant flex. We'll have to go backwards and forwards with this to make sure everyone's safe. Do you think, uh, Dr. Ray Dianandin, that um The guidelines were not specific enough when we talk about indoor gatherings and outdoor gatherings. Uh, Our strategy panel, we were just chatting about the wedding, which has uh, now seen dozens of cases of COVID-19 in Peel region as a result of people obviously not physical distancing and wearing masks. We can only surmise that. Uh, Maybe it needs to be more explicit. People think, oh, 50 of us can gather inside, but they're not doing all the right things to make sure the virus doesn't transfer. Yes. Now, I'm loath to look backwards and judge decisions that were made back when we didn't know as much. 
we made decisions based on what we knew at the time. So I'm not a fan of pointing fingers backwards. However, I do think there's something to be said for now that we understand the limitations in the public understanding of risk, we have to be more careful and specific about what we say to people so that we understand why we have these upper limits and that these upper limits are based on your individual bubbles, not you can have a different bubble every day, that sort of thing. And, and about you know what the risk actually is and which behaviors are more likely to cause certain kinds of uh, uh, highly risky outcomes. So going forward, I think we really have to think hard about how we communicate to the public, and especially how we communicate to a diversity of different demographics within the public. We've talked earlier about the young people not getting the message, as it were. So we have to have a, a diversity of tools outlined now. From this point on, it's all about the public behaving a certain way. And the more that we can empower the public to make the right decisions, I think the better chance we have of getting through this without dramatic closures. Is it a good idea, Dr. Vaisman, uh, if you get a wedding invitation for this fall, to politely decline to reduce your risk? Or is it something you think is still responsible that you can entertain? I think uh, the answer to that will depend on where we're at with the pandemic. And generally speaking, if the numbers do continue to rise, and those kinds of activities should, in fact, be restricted. So if we go back to the sorts of uh, sharp rises in cases that we were seeing in March, for example, this, that severe then yes, we would have to go back to restricting things that are as, as important to people as weddings. And uh, so in the meanwhile, we, we don't know exactly yet what the answer will be in the next few months. You know, it'll be like in November. But I think it'd be reasonable to assume that there will be that restriction again and to expect that attending those kinds of events is not, is not likely to be the safest thing to do. I really want you to think about this as you listen. Have you been maintaining your behavior? We were all very good for the first couple of months. Have you continued with that behavior? Are you conscious all the time of making sure that you're not coming in contact with anybody else who could be asymptomatic or symptomatic carrying COVID-19? Or are you starting to relax a bit? Or are you seeing this in the behavior of some of the people you know that, oh, well, I, you know, I haven't heard of anybody in my life who has it, so I'm not going to get it. Are you, are you starting to hear some of that six months in? I'm really interested in hearing what the behaviors are like out there, because clearly it is influencing the daily number of cases, which, uh, if you're just joining us, it was 185 yesterday and 190 on Sunday in Ontario. Those are much higher numbers than what we've been experiencing in recent weeks. 416 366 640 toll free 1-866-744-740. Let's go to Barry in North York. I think we're still locking him in, though, are we? We've got him? Okay, let's go to Barry in North York. Go ahead, Barry. Afternoon. Um, two things I wanted to say. Uh, that, uh, yes, people are getting complacent. I've seen a friend of mine had a party of uh, her mother for 30 people. She said it was in a restaurant and they were physically distant. I don't see how that happens, but... Um, but, and the other thing is, I wanted to pose a question to your panel. A number of the cases, correct me if I'm wrong, are happening in bars. And rightly so, because, you know, people get drunk and they don't, as, as has been said by, uh, experts, um, when people have drinking, they're drinking, their inhibitions go out the window, so the masks go off and everything else. So right. why doesn't the premier close the bars down? 
Let's go to you, Dr. Ray. Do you think that it's going to come to that where Premier Ford, who has said uh, unequivocally he would not hesitate to close everything down again if the numbers start going up? It may come to that. Now, keep in mind, there's a balancing act to be struck here. If you close the bars, people are still going to socialize, and they may do so in their own homes. So the number of house parties might increase, and we can't monitor those as closely as we can monitor bars. So we can't be as hard-handed as I would like. We have to be able to you know, manage people's psychologies in a more subtle way. But Sending a strong message like a threat of closures is a good way to start because it gets people understanding what's at stake here. That's what's missing. People don't fully understand what's at stake. Dr. Vaisman, you your that. thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I think that's that's very important. When we when we're thinking about what was going on in June, uh, there was a lot of things done by local governments to make sure that there was good alternatives for people, so that uh, socialization and close proximity of each other in indoor spaces was not the only option. So there's a lot of outdoor options at that time, like in Toronto, the shutting down of lanes for bikes, for example. They're going to have to get creative now that the temperature is a lot cooler to figure out what can we provide as alternatives for especially young people to socialize in that is safe. You know, what, are, what, are the, what other ways can we get people to be active but not being in close proximity to each other? Um, I don't know what the answer will be, but you know, that's, that's a very important public health measure that's going to have to be taken going into the fall now. I'm speaking with uh, a panel of epidemiologists, Dr. Alan Vaisman and Dr. Ray Dianandin, about the news that we received today that the daily COVID-19 numbers in Ontario were at 190 on Sunday and 185 on Labor Day Monday. They have increased quite a bit in recent days. Uh, we also uh, are having this conversation as some children, most children, go back to school across the province, whether in person or virtually. I want to ask both of you, as I asked the strategy panel last half hour, uh, what do you think about the plan that is in place as children are actually right now sitting in classrooms? Uh, Dr. Vaisman, you can weigh in on that first. I I think the basic concept, the basic uh, plans laid out are good, and they're fairly conservative in the most part, uh, trying to make sure that uh, people are kept safe, staff staff and students as well. It's, um, it's going to likely change uh, in the future. We're going to see what this experience is like in Ontario, and I think everyone needs to be prepared for things to open up and close again with regards to schools, especially if the community case count rises. That'll be a signal for things to, to be modified. So if there's a lot of cases in your town, in your city, then the schools are not going to be as, not going to be as safe to keep opened up. And then, likewise, if there's a lot of cases within the school, that's, that's going to indicate that you're going to have to shut things down as well. So it's important for people to recognize that the, the plan that's in place is a starting point and that things are likely going to change. The experience is likely going to inform the next steps in managing schools. Dr. Dianandin, uh, here's a question for you related to back to school. Does, uh, do the schools feed community spread or does the community feed spread in the schools? Excellent question. One of the reasons we're so concerned about schools all the time is that schools are pandemic accelerators. So overwhelmingly, your, your kid will be fine. Most kids will be perfectly fine, as will their families. What we're concerned about is that when the inevitable outbreak occurs, those outbreaks spread into the community and accelerate the pandemic. So I like to think of the plans to keep schools safe as being a hierarchy of four things we want. Number one, keep it out of the community. If it can't be in the community, then it can't get into the school. Number two, if it gets in the community, keep it out of the school. 
Number three, if it gets into the school, keep it from spreading in the school. And number four, if it's spreading in the school, keep it from spreading back into the community. And it's that last bit that we're scared about as population health scientists, that the school serves as an incubator for larger spread. So as we assess the various plans, we look at it through that lens, at which stage of the the prevention strategy does a particular uh, asset address. For the most part, I think we should all focus on the number one, keep it as low as possible in the community. That's something that everyone has a responsibility to focus on. And if it's low in the community, then we're golden. We have uh, very few worries. Okay, let's go to Rhonda in Kitchener. She wants to get in on the conversation. Go ahead, Rhonda. Yes, ma'am. I don't know if people remember this, but I'll make a quick. There was a polio epidemic, and there was no hesitation in quarantining one house. Well, this is sort of like that. And now prevention is a pound of cure. The teachers don't feel safe. The plan is definitely not safe. I'm an EA. I work in the school. I don't even know if I can go back to work this year because my daughter had cancer. It's not just about spreading the community. It's about bringing it back home and then spreading it elsewhere. So I can't, I mean, as a person, you have to watch people that are jeopardized medically. And my daughter is one of them, so I'm not sending my granddaughter back. And if you look online, the numbers have escalated of the kids that are staying home, which I think is the smartest way to do. I'm sorry about the works that the parents have, but this is more important. This isn't uh, the measles or the mumps. This is something that's life-threatening. Okay, Rhonda, I really appreciate your call. Dr. Vaseman, what about looking back into history? Um, she mentioned there about polio when before there was a vaccine. And uh, can we learn from these historical events in relation to COVID? Yeah, I think the most pertinent uh, example to learn from is the, the, the often-mentioned 1918 pandemic of what measures were done. That virus, the H1N1 influenza virus, is transmitted through the similar patterns that uh, COVID is. And uh, the important lessons learned there is about how shutting things down was essential to shutting down the pandemic, how sacrifices need to be made across the board with industry and with education, and then also they needed to have creative solutions to get around the problem. So having the schools, uh, you know, taught outside, for example, or having people wear masks, all, the, all these solutions that they came up with at that time, of course, the, the, their medicine was far you know, not as advanced as we have now, but the infection control principles were somewhat understood at that time as well. So what we can learn from there is that places that effectively shut down and effectively responded to the numbers were the ones that had most successful in reducing their counts. Dr. Dianandin, what about that looking back into history at, at other similar situations? Well, we have to learn from history. And as noted, the Spanish flu is the obvious example. But influenza is not a coronavirus. And there are some important distinctions to be made. One is that this coronavirus is an asymptomatic spreader. That's not the case for influenza. We, if, you've, um, if you've got symptoms, you're spreading it. We don't, this asymptomatic nature is really causing problems. Number two is this idea of fomite spread, so surface transmission. With influenza viruses, if you touch a doorknob that an infected person has breathed on, there's a good chance you're going to be infected. With this disease, not so much. So there's a limit to how much we can learn from the past, but we should definitely try. Certainly one of the most important things, as noted, is that those regions that responded fast and hard are the ones that did the best. So we should not be shy about deploying public health measures vigorously and adhering to them strongly because that has been shown to work over and over.
We have just a minute left. I'd like to hear from both of you your best advice uh, for our listeners, for Canadians in general, until we next speak again, uh, as we start to see some unsettling signs of increased numbers. Dr. Vaisman. I think the most important thing for Canadians to realize is that there isn't uh there isn't anything new that we need to do for COVID. It's what we've been discussing for the last nine months since the pandemic began. It's going back to all the principles that we already know are effective in terms of the distancing, mask wearing, using hand hygiene, and shutting down sectors of the economy or school when necessary. So there isn't a, nothing really novel that has come up in the last few months that has changed that. We know that that's been effective since the beginning. And until we have an effective vaccine, I think Canadians just need to expect that that will be the norm for the next few months and to just be prepared for things to open and shut down accordingly to how the numbers are going. And Dr. Ray? I I would always say that this is not a case of individual risk. Your individual risk is always low for most of us. Even if you get it, your chances of getting out of it well are high. This is about population risk. So the reason that I wear a mask and and maintain my distance and avoid parties is because that older person two blocks away might eventually get it for me and they might eventually die or we could spread it into long-term care centers and hospitals and so forth. This is about protecting community. And the faster that people understand that, I think the faster we'll all get on board with doing what's right. All right. Thank you both for your time, as always. Thank you. Dr. Ray Dianandan, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa, and infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist Dr. Alon Vaisman. It's Jane for Libby. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. In the meantime, if you'd like to leave a comment and couldn't get through on the phones, our voicemail is open 24-7-416-367-9636. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.